We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and founder of the Kings Beat. Joining me today, Mr. Brendan Nunez. Brendan, of course, from the Kings Herald and Kings Pulse podcast. What's going on, Brendan? Busy day for me, James, as I get ready to um, go to Vegas and got a lot of different things that I'm uh, checking off my list beforehand. And there's probably going to be one or two that I painfully forget. But a uh, busy day and excited for excited for Vegas. Yeah, the, I think the biggest question that I had was where's Molly going? Yeah, um, she she's back there squeaking somewhere. Um, but you, you got a dog sitter, it sounds like. I do, I do. Uh, a friend of mine that is Molly's second favorite human after myself. Um, and sometimes I question that a little bit and do get a little offended. I'm not gonna lie, but he stayed her here with her uh, during the California Classic too, and then we'll do the same thing for Vegas. So she's in good hands. Nice, nice. All right, so no Sean Cunningham today. He is packing a suitcase. Uh, he flies out this afternoon early, and so uh, we're just going to run with Brendan and myself today. Uh, Brendan, of course, is going to Vegas for the weekend. Uh, Brendan, let's start there. Like, What are you looking forward to? Because Vegas is is crazy and wild, but uh, are you going to get to catch two games? Or are you going to get to catch one game? What's, the, what's sort of your weekend? I'm catching two Kings games. Um, the first one's against Orlando, and I feel bad that I don't know the second one off the top of my head. Um, but I'm really looking forward to, obviously, Paulo Bancaro against Keegan Murray. Um, I hope that they match up against one another. I really want to see how Keegan handles uh, the physicality of Bancaro. And Orlando's squad in general is is pretty interesting. I think Emmanuel Terry is on that team. Um, it was mm. on Stockton last year. Yeah. Um, some fun connections there. And I think they're running with a lot of their different, um, a, a lot of their different second-year guys as well on that team. And admittedly kind of curious to see how Jaden Ivey looks. Um, I, I don't know that our listeners are going to love to hear that, but, you know, we get our, our, our first taste of Jaden Ivey 
So that'll be intriguing, and he's going to be somebody that's tied to the Kings for a long time. I'm excited to, to see a lot of these young guys, and specifically when it comes to the Kings, how Keegan steps up to the challenge. Yeah, you're going to miss um, – I, I think OKC game is Wednesday. I think you're going to miss that game, so you won't get to see uh, your dude, Chet. Yeah, I watched. I did watch again last night, and Kenny Lofton Jr. is a great matchup that was very, very entertaining. I saw somebody say he was built in a lab to make to uh, really go through Chet's weaknesses, and I, I think that that was very accurate. Um, yeah, I think OKC is one of those other teams as well. It kind of reminds me of Sacramento a couple years ago when they first got Bagley, and it feels like all the main people on their roster are on the summer league team as well. I think it was like Fox, Justin Jackson, Frank Mason, Marvin Bagley, Harry Giles, um, and then OKC is like still running out giddy. They have, what, three first-round picks this year. So there, One of the Jalens is really good. Yeah, yes. one of the Jalens is very fun. The like, Santa Clara cool. one. Yeah, the Santa Clara. Uh, they they drafted both Jalen Williams um, and the Santa Clara one, which they they got it like the eleventh pick, eleventh or twelfth. Um, yeah, maybe a little further. It might have been fourteen, but around there. Oh, I think they they got him and Usman Dang like right together. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like him, man. Oh, he's got bounce. He's he's all over the place. He's he's going to be a ball player, and uh, you can see that right away. Um, yeah, it's funny you bring up uh, Chet and the Kenny Lofton uh, Jr. thing. Um, yeah, that it reminds me like years ago. Uh, you know, the Steph Curry draft. People forget that the Steph Curry draft was. It went like Blake Griffin, uh, Hashim the Beat, and then number three was James Harden. Number four was Tyreek Evans. Number five was Ricky Rubio. Number six was Johnny Flynn, and then uh, and then Steph. Um, but the beat, um, he had this exact same problem. Uh, I, I'm not saying that this is a precursor to what's going to happen with Holmgren, but at the college level, um, you know, the, the beat was a star and then he ran up against Dewan Blair, who was like, the guy had no ACLs at all. Like he had had, uh, he torn his ACLs and I don't even think they replaced him. Like something crazy was happening there. Um, and he just absolutely dominated him. It was so embarrassing to watch for the beat. Uh, and you know that there are players out there that are just made to go against a player like Chet. Um, you know, I think the Kings have, have one maybe in, uh, and Trey Lyles that can just, you know, push him around and bully him and get low. And, uh, yeah, it should, it should be interesting. I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see uh, what's going to happen here over the next uh, couple of games as, as Chet figures out that there, there are all kinds of shapes and sizes at the NBA level, and he's yeah. got to adapt to all of them. Yeah. What do you typically look for in, in summer league games? I, I feel like you can tell pretty quickly when a guy doesn't belong, but it's easy to overrate some summer league performances. What are you typically watching for this time of year? Yeah, I think I brought it up on, on D'Lo and Casey the other day that, you know, Dante Green scored 40 points in the Summer League game. Holy crap. Yeah, like, what you can't do is you can't just completely overanalyze what it is a player is doing. The reason why I've been so high on on um, Keegan Murray uh, and what I've seen so far in Summer League is because he's doing things that are effortless. Like, they are who he's going to be at the next level. So, like, the three-point shooting, the 
you know, the seven or eight rebounds a game. Those are things that I think are repeatable, and he's doing them where it almost looks like he doesn't even really try to do it. Like, he, he's just so good that he, um, you know, he's in the right position. He's got good hands. Um, like, overall, he's just been really impressive, and, he, and he's calm, and he's ready for the moment and all that stuff. Those are things that I think are trans, uh, translatable to when you start playing in October. Of course, he's going to miss a bunch of shots at, you're going to get frustrated frustrated with because, you know, he didn't miss those shots in college or he didn't miss those shots at, at Summer League. But when the bright lights hit and, you know, everything gets cranked up and the energy's wild, uh, it can be a little uh, overwhelming, especially for a young player. So, like, when I'm watching, I'm looking for those things, those things that are, are repeatable, those things that are translatable uh, to the next level. And, again, like, if some guy comes out and, and grabs 20-something rebounds, but then the next game he has four, like, that's what I'm trying to look out for. Like, don't don't get too high on some great performance by somebody. And also, look who they're going up against. That that would be my other thing. It's, you know, I, I wish that Keegan would have gone up against a guy like Moses Moody a whole bunch more, uh, would have gone up a guy against a guy like Jonathan Kaminga, you know, he's going to face a lot of different looks and going up against Paolo Bencaro uh, in one game and then Chet Holmgren in another, that's a good thing because he's going to have to show that he's versatile enough to, to defend both, to score against both. And uh, so those are things that I'm looking for. Just don't look like you're completely overwhelmed and that you're not very good at basketball, which we've already seen that he's pretty good at basketball. There are guys that I've seen on the Kings roster that I look at and go, okay, I don't think you're very good at basketball, you know, and I'm not going to call anyone out. I just, there are players there that, you know, even that played for the Stockton Kings last year that I look at and I'm like, okay, I, like everyone talks about it. I, I don't see it at all. Like I'm watching what you do and none of that is within the flow of an offense. None of that makes sense to me. None of that feels good. Uh, you just look like you're out of control and reckless and something that, you know, that everyone has played against on in a rec league at some point, just, just they can dunk. That's the difference. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Uh, if, if all of that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Keegan doing it within the flow of the offense. Um, like, cause there's some guys where like Javante smart at, at that California classic, it's like, I thought he was really good on Miami's roster. Um, but he's initiating the offense every single time, and it's like with the ball in his hands, he's effective. But at the next level, that's not a guy that's going to have the ball in his hands. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that context is really important. And then I think second-year guys, uh, Summer League is really interesting for me in that aspect as well because you get to see what sort of jump it has taken place in their game. And, and specifically, like, they'll get placed in different contexts. Like, Bam Adebayo that that year that Bagley was was drafted Bam Adebayo was playing point guard for Miami and it was like okay I think there's more playmaking than I originally thought with Bam um, so I, I'd like to see a little bit more from uh, Nemeas Keda at in Vegas I, I think using his physicality was the big thing for me that I wanted to see a little bit more um, he, he talked about switching on the perimeter I don't know that I loved that I didn't think he was horrible in that aspect either but um, I'm with you when it comes to contexts and is that translatable? And then also for second year guys, it's always interesting to me so what sort of to see what sort of development has taken place. Yeah, like I, I'll just be on like Matt Coleman should be starting for the Sacramento Kings so he can develop and he can be out there getting more run. I think that's intentional 
the Kings don't want to sit there and flash Matt Coleman out. Uh, they would like to probably bring him to training camp, probably make him one of the last cuts so he goes to the Stockton Kings so he can be there. Um, that All of that makes sense to me. Um, and so sometimes you got to look out for that. So like someone, some people are wondering why Ferrari is out there running around. And that's because he's a steady hand who, who can help direct traffic. Um, but you get to a point where it's like, okay, we've seen enough of him and we've kind of seen the cap of him. Um, let's see some of the other players. And so I, I would like that. Uh, I think uh, Mike Brown did do a good job of, of putting different players, you know, like he had sets that he used on game one and then a different group on game two and a different group on game three. Uh, there are a couple of players that I want to see more of. Um, Sestina is to me was fun to watch. He just like bodied everybody. Um, and then who was the other guy that, uh, oh, McDermott was okay. And then the other guy I thought that was a lot of fun, uh, o- who O'Connell lo- possibly. Yeah. O'Connell, O'Connell, which reminded me a little bit of Christian Braun, uh, Brown. Um, yeah, just like a dude who, who gets it, who knows how to play, but who also has springs in his legs, flies all over the court, goes and gets rebounds in tough spots, does the dirty work, seems to get that if he's going to make it somehow, he has to stand out and stand out by doing all of the little things. And so, yeah, I, I like it. I, you know, I think the Kings got, they have a, a handful of ballers on this team, you know, guys that actually know how to play the game pretty well. And that usually equates to, to victories. Definitely. Sestina was far and away the loudest guy there, especially that last day. I, I know you got a full year of this, but that was my first time being in an empty stadium. And it was quite the experience. The coolest part is probably just how much you can hear what's going on on the court. And Sestina is far and away the loudest guy out there. Um, I'm with you. I want to see a little bit more from McDermott and O'Connell. I thought it was interesting that O'Connell played a lot in game two and then didn't see much run in game three. Um, I don't think he played in game three. Maybe he, I well, mixed game two. I think he played really well in game one. He didn't play at all in game two, and then he played solid in game three. There yeah. And, and, Brendan, the reason why they do that is they like they see something in a guy, and then they like to hide him a lot of yeah. times. They're like, okay, we wouldn't mind having you in the G League. Like a day murky that they brought up last year and then don't play at all in this summer league? Yeah, isn't that strange? I, I um is he? Does he have an injury? I, I think there might be an injury to either him or DJ Stewart. I think it's Stewart. Stewart was in street clothes last. Uh, okay. The yeah. I, I don't get why you're not playing uh, Adi Murky, uh, Ade or whatever's you know. Like uh, I, I'm confused why they're not. I, I like him. I, I thought he was actually way more refined than Stewart last year. Yeah. Like you looked at the two and you're like, okay, one of you looks like a ball player, one of you doesn't. So. Um, yeah, uh, that, that is intriguing. And, you know, I think a lot of times the Kings are, are trying to surround Keegan with veterans, you know, even if they're, they're G league or they're European veterans or they're older college players, that's, it kind of feels like what they're trying to do. They're trying to put a support system around him where you're not playing with a bunch of guys who are going out there trying to put up 25 points and make it rain. And, uh, and and kind of control the flow of what's happening as opposed to, um, you know, going going crazy and, and trying to earn what you think is earning a spot, which is usually not earning a spot. That was one thing that Keon Ellis really highlighted was everybody's playing for each other. Nobody's out there just trying to get their own. 
And uh, when I talked to him a little bit, he he pointed out how he felt like his stock actually fell, not because he, I don't know if I shared this in the last episode, not because he measured in at a lower height, but because the draft combine is a really bad context for a guy like him that does a lot of the intangibles when a lot of people are going up and and just trying to get their numbers. And I went back and kind of watched those combine games and it's, it is rough basketball, James. Uh, guys are trying to prove themselves out there, and it's a lot of early shot clock, off-the-bounce shots that these guys are, are never actually going to be taken at the next level. And the point guards, the guys initiating, maybe look all right and get a lot of touches, but some other guys like Keon maybe don't. And I, I don't think that's been the case with this Kings team. Everybody, Keon, Keegan, Jordy, have all been talking about winning and as much as I'm not valuing wins and losses when it comes to summer league, personally, more of their personal development and skill sets of a certain handful of guys. Um, I, I think it does help for the context, like we talked about and, and seeing how these guys fit when everybody is actually playing for each other and with the goal of, uh, of winning games, no matter what that looks like. Yeah. It's, uh, it's by design. The, the Kings are really good at summer league for some reason. The fact that they're not really good in the regular season ever, um, is puzzling, but the fact that they are good in summer league where they do get a hundred percent buy-in, um, I, that has something to do with the way that they pick up players too. You're, you're bringing in players that understand what they're there for. And I think if we really look at this summer league, um, this team is designed almost like it's it's going to be very similar to the Kings team. It's, uh, of course, Keegan Murray, and then it's Sabonis and it's Fox. And how do you fit in? How do you fit in with the other guys? And so I like that they're kind of designing the same way here where it's like, okay, you know, Frankie Ferrari, go ahead and do your thing. Fit in with these guys. Uh, you know, and again, O'Connell, go ahead and fly in and get a bunch of rebounds. Do whatever you can to fit in with these guys. But the the staple is that you got three guys who are gonna play huge minutes in Kada and Alice and and Keegan, and the rest of the guys have to figure out how to support them. And again, I, I think that that's what a lot of 2022-23 Sacramento Kings basketball is going to be about. Like, you got your big three. Now, how do you fit with the big three? Absolutely. Um, I, I think the. ABC guys caught Steph Curry yesterday and I saw a little clip talking about um, Steph Curry's opinion on Mike Brown and and he was very much that you know Mike Brown is is going to be he's a great coach and he's going to get buy-in but you absolutely better play defense and Steph is chuckling while he's saying it but I think that is very much buy-in and it reflects a lot on the defensive end. Um, I think that what we're seeing with this summer league roster, like you're saying, is going to translate over to the main roster as well. Yeah. All right. So if you're watching right now on YouTube, uh, give us a thumbs up and subscribe. Um, we're not doing a live show today, so I'm not telling you to do that live because it's not live. Uh, uh, also, if you're listening on the audio uh, side, uh, wherever you listen to your, your podcast, give us a rating and review. That always helps. Um, the, the better rating and review, you know, the more we, we get thumbs ups, uh, that's good. Uh, we're growing like crazy and we're having a good time here and we're going to keep going all summer long, all the way through. And, uh, this is a norm. Uh, we try to go every Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, most of the time it's worked out. We've done a good job of staying on, 
on track. Uh, every once in a while, we have a day where something goes wrong or a week where James gets COVID and things totally go wrong. Um, but overall, uh, like this is what we're going to do, and we're glad you're here, and uh, we're fast, very quickly approaching uh, 2,000 subscribers here on the YouTube channel, uh, which has only been up since, I don't know, like mid, mid-January. Uh, so that's pretty good. Um, so again, thank you for all that. And, uh, again, thumbs up, subscribe, uh, outside of that, uh, Brennan, what are your expectations for the next week? Like, what are you hoping to see? Like, is there anything, um, is there a player or a system or like, uh, like something that you want to have jump out at you over the next week and a half of summer league? I, we touched on this last episode. I really, really like Keon Ellis, James. And I know you do. I want to see shots fall uh, because I think that there is a defensive impact that you could feel at the next level pretty quickly. I think it'd be hard for him to get minutes on Sacramento's roster next year. I'm not expecting it, but I think there's a world where it happens. I think defensively that he is very disruptive and smart he doesn't take too many risks on that end like well there's a balance between you know jumping passing lanes and when you don't make it being completely out of position that I think uh, Keon does really well he has really active hands it's just offensively I think he's a good play finisher but when he has to put the ball on the deck things turn bad pretty quickly Um, the turnovers are a problem so I'm really intrigued to see how he looks on the offensive end. And I think part of it will look different when he's on a roster with better creators. Like, I don't love the mm-hmm. the point guards on, on, on Summer League roster right now. And I, I think it will look better when he's just asked to do a little bit less on the offensive end and he's the fifth guy out there. Defensives aren't paying as much attention to him. But I think I want to see less turnovers from him and just knocking down those those wide-open jumpers. Yeah, I mean, I think for Keon Ellis to find success at the NBA level, it's going to be play crazy defense, um, which means fighting through screens and, and going up and over and, you know, around and, and just being disruptive. like And then hitting wide-open shots and getting out on the break when there's break opportunities. Those are the only things he, he should be working on and should be focusing on. He needs to get better as a ball handler. He, he needs to do all these other things. He needs to hit the gym, all of that. But uh, for him to find success, it, it's pretty – like there's a very clear path. If you want to be good at the NBA level, if you want to make it to the NBA level and stay there, be Bruce Bowen. Like he that – that is a guy who like thousands of, of kids around the country should be figuring out how to be Bruce Bowen and not um, how to be Michael Jordan because – like the percentage of people who can be Michael Jordan is like less than like point zero 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 one percent. The people who can be like Bruce Bowen is more like, you know, three <laughs> percent. You know? If you can do the job well and be a superstar in your in your role, then you can find a place in the NBA. And I, I honestly believe that. So so I think that there's always a shot there. Um, as far as like what I would like to see, um, Kada, you, you mentioned Kada needs to be more physical. I want to see Kada average like, you know, 15 and 10 with two blocks. I want him to be impactful. And 
that's because he is a second-year player, but he's also um, like a 23-year-old second-year player. It's not or 22-year-old, but going on 23. He's not a young guy. He's a, a you know six days four-year college player. Yeah, is he a four-year college player? I believe uh, so. Might have been three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah three or four. Yeah, either way, either way, he's a mature player. When you get to summer league, you need to show that you can dominate. And I would like to see him show that he can dominate like a couple of times. You know, we talk about Paolo Bancaro. Uh, they're going to run up against Paolo. And uh, Paolo will – there will be times where we see Keita on Paolo. And I think that that's a good thing. Uh, there are going to be times where Chet – it's going to be Keita and Chet. And I want to see if Keita can do what Kenny Lofton Jr. did to him. Um, show me that you got – that you can use your strength and your size and uh, and grow. That's that's the key, right? Like, I know a lot of things are going through his head. That's what it kind of looks like, that he's – the wheels are spinning too much. Uh, just get out there and play and and go out there and use your physicality and your size to go grab rebounds and everything else. Outside of that, I, I, I think I know who Keegan is. I don't need to – I'm not too concerned there. I'd like to see some of these other guys step up and start having some moments. But, you know, clearly – Frankie Ferrari is not like a great lob guy and uh, and teams sag off of him. So that's limiting Kata somewhat because uh, they're just doubling Kata on, on the roll and, and taking away like most of the lob threat. What lobs we have seen are they end up being like super spectacular because Kata's off balance and like flying out of nowhere because he's he's got too many people around him. Um, that's because no one's respecting the jumper of the guard. It's not because Kate is doing something wrong. So, um, again, like things that are that we can see that can be fixed, fix them. Things that you can't see, uh, you know, like just play harder, like be bigger, be stronger, be more physical, all that stuff. Uh, was there any surprises for you when we got the the summer league roster? I think there are two changes, but I um, I don't think I have them in front of me. Yeah, they're bringing in T.J. Starks and. Uh... What's the other new name on this list? Brandon Childress. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, son of Randolph Childress, which you have no idea who Randolph Childress is. No idea. Yeah, Randolph Childress was at Wake Forest with Tim Duncan, and was incredible. And then got to the pros and was not incredible. Um, uh, he flamed out super quick. Uh, there were two players in that draft. Um, that Randolph Childress went in and the other one will come to me eventually uh, that like, they just look like incredible shooting guards coming into the league. And then they never, ever worked out. Um, and Childress was one of them. He, he got a cup of coffee like in Portland and then in, um, in Detroit. I think he was a, he was a top 10 pick if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yeah, uh, I will look this up while we're talking because now I'm, my brain is, is churning yeah, and uh, his son also went to Wake Forest, and just looking at this roster, the latest birthday is two thousand one. DJ Stewart. Um, oh, that's young. Yeah, it it is, but for a summer league roster, for that to be the youngest guy on your team, and uh, I, you know, I probably it doesn't sound as young to me it's not all too far off from my birthday um but all of these guys are born in the 90s except keon ellis dj stewart and and keegan murray like it's an older summer league roster yeah 
Uh, hmm. That is interesting. Uh, okay, so Randolph Childers was the 19th pick. My bad. In the 2000, I mean the 1995 NBA draft. Um, he lasted two years in the league, played a total of 51 games, even though he was the 19th pick in the draft. And the other guy I was thinking of, of course, is Sean Respert from Michigan State, who was just lights out. He was so much fun in college, got to the pros. Um, and the guy drafted after Sean Respert was eighth pick um, was Ed O'Bannon, who was like uh, like Naismith Player of the Year and has done really good work for the league afterwards, well, for for college players afterwards. Um, he uh, He's the guy who's really pushed forward um, college players getting paid for their images being used. Um, but Ed O'Bannon was a stud at UCLA, and then in the pros, he was just non-existent. I think he had a knee issue, but like just never materialized at all. Uh, but that's the way the draft goes. Of course, I know all of those players. Very familiar. There you go. None <laughs> of those players Brent, uh, uh, Brendan knows. That's all right. Um, yeah, so, no, I'm excited to see uh, Respert, you know, like many Respert. I mean, I'm— uh, Childress, Childress, uh, yeah, I'd like to see what he can do. Um, I, I think he's played overseas, right? Um, he left Wake Forest, I think, in 2000, and he's been playing um, it, around the world since then. Um, yeah. All right, so uh, on top of that— um, I got so one we, for you. Yeah. What do you think of Rico Hines leaving? He's headed to Toronto. Um, what do you make of that? Because I think a lot of people—I mean, Rico is— Fairly, very highly touted around the league. He's highly thought of, working with a lot of stars throughout every offseason. I think of his relationship with Siakam that was talked about often since he's headed to Toronto. But, um, yeah, just what do you think of of Sacramento no longer having Rico Hines around? Yeah, you know what? Um, at first, I think people are going to be like, oh, man, you know, Rico's gone. Uh, you know, he's the player development coach. And then the same people are like, the Kings never develop anybody. And so like, I'm not, I'm not taking a shot there. I'm just saying that like, look, coaches come and go. I mean, that's something that we've learned very quickly here in Sacramento. Um, like I don't even want to know how many, how many assistant coaches I've covered in my 12 going on 13 years of Sacramento Kings basketball. I can just tell you it's a lot. Um, and uh, like, I like Rico. Uh, he does a Rico runs down at, uh, down in LA. And so he's very popular with players in general. Um, but you know, he also is a guy who worked his way up into the league. He was on the Stockton Kings. He, uh, well, Stockton Arena. I, well, maybe it was the first year in Stockton. Um, he also was a player development coach for the Warriors. Um, he's put in his time and, and I'm glad he's, he's in the league. Uh, but when it comes to like the first moves that we saw this off season, uh, Jordy Fernandez is a renowned like player development coach, and they've uh, Luke Laux is a renowned player development coach. These are guys that are known around the league as player development coaches, and what you don't want is a bunch of different messages with your young players. So um, I kind of expected Rico to not be back because. They showed very early on that they're going to take a different route with some of these players. And I think Doug is going to be part of that player development as well. Um, during the last, I don't know, couple of months, Doug Christie has been going all over the country, like visiting players and hanging out with them. Um, so that's a good thing. You know, Doug is a guy who thinks about basketball in a unique way 
and also has a ton of NBA experience and, and everything else. So uh, Doug is a guy who forms a really strong bond with people. Um, Jordy is a guy who clearly has an idea of what he wants as far as player development. Um, I think that they're in good hands and, um, you know, that, and it's not a, a knock on Rico. Um, but again, like this is a, a moment where the Kings are building out their staff and it's a big staff and they're building it out, uh, the way that Mike Brown wants to build it out. And that's what Mike Brown should be allowed to do, uh, straight up. You know, if someone makes sense, they stick around. If they don't make sense, they go. So I think Lindsey Harding is still on the staff, at least for right now. Um, you know, I, Jonah Herskew is still there. Um, and as of right now, they could be coaches that stick around. Mike Longombardi is gone. Uh, Stacy Ogman is gone. Um, and now we find out Rico Hines is gone. So uh, so there, there's a big coaching over uh, turnover here, but they've also brought in a ton. Like I, I like that Leandro Barbosa is joining this team. Um, I like that Doug is still there. I like that, you know, Jordy Fernandez has this, uh, this gigantic resume as a development guy who worked with Mike Brown's son, who's at summer league right now, um, worked with him as a young player was like his personal, like personal basketball coach. And so, yeah, I think the ties of bind you, you need to, if you're a head coach, you need to have as many people who are on the same page with you as possible. You also have to have the ability to bring people onto the same page. Um, but you need to start with a base of people that know what you need. And Bless you. <laughs> I, I would like to tell you that I'm a hundred percent. I'm not a hundred percent yet. Um, yeah. So you want as many people that are pulling the, the same way as you are and that are willing to fall in line, know their role, teach their role, be, you know, like reach the players in a specific way and move forward as like a big giant group of people that all have the same goals. And unfortunately, I, I would point that was the undoing of Luke Walton, in my opinion. It was that um, in his first year, he like just tried to bring in a bunch of dudes and he didn't know any of them. And except for, uh, oh, why am I going to drop Jesse Mermies? Uh, yeah, Jesse. Uh, yeah, that's the only one that he really knew uh, like very well. Everyone else he didn't know, and so he he made this staff and defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators, like a head of coaching. Like there's uh, Roy Rana was like a like had some new thing that we'd never heard of before as in in the NBA ranks, and all of these things. Well, they didn't have any personal ties to each other. And so it didn't work, and it felt awkward, and they always felt awkward. The whole season they felt weird and disconnected, and you need a group that's pulling the same way. And so I hope that that's what Mike Brown's doing here. And, you know, again, it's not a slide on Rico. It's that yeah, you want your own guys, and that makes sense to me. Absolutely, to me too. I think terminology was something that was talked about a lot with that Luke staff and there's a lot of different terms for the same definition throughout the NBA, and you want to be on the same page um, with all of that. From so that way, it's getting communicated the same way to all of the different players on the staff as well. And I'm with you. I, I think that Rico is obviously somebody that is very highly regarded, but Mike Brown is the exact same way, and I'm going to trust most of his decisions right now, and until I have a reason to to think otherwise, because like. Every single thing, every person that ever talks about Mike Brown thinks he's 
the best person in the world and going to do an absolutely phenomenal job. So at this point, I, I feel like I have no choice and no reason to not just trust it and, and hope it ends up working out that way. You know, it's interesting. Uh, like we did so much work on the coaching search that, you know, we, we had like these like dossiers on, on coaches that like, God. and what's crazy is the Kings kind of got it right. Didn't they? I, I don't know. Like we'll find out if Mike Brown is the right coach, but of all the coaching searches that were done, they are the one coaching search that almost everyone landed a job. I think of, of, of the final, what was it? Six or seven, this final six, mm-hmm. only Mike D'Antoni and Charles Lee haven't got jobs. Everyone else got a job. And, and yeah. I think that speaks to the quality of the group that they had in. I think it's something that's been missed because, you know, we, we had this whole, these other coaching searches like, Oh, they got Kenny Atkinson or, Oh man, they got uh, Terry Stotts to show up, and it's like, okay, well, you know, we got uh, why am I drawing it? Will Will Hardy in uh-huh. Utah? You got Steve, Steve Clifford, Clifford back in in Charlotte. You got Darvin Ham as Lakers coach. It seems to me that the Kings had an idea of who the best coaching candidates were. And they had most of them through their building, and most of them were in the running for the job uh, up until the final moments. And I think that's a good thing, right? Yeah, definitely. It seems like they uh, they got it right. I guess Mark Jackson is the other one that didn't end up going anywhere. Oh, that's um, true. Almost forgot about that one. Yeah, and yeah, I, I'm interested to see how these other guys pan out the same way that um, maybe it's not the most healthy thing for my, for my mental, but the same way that I'm like interested to watch Jaden Ivy because you can't help but be like, was this the right decision? I'm going to be watching Will Hardy. I'm going to be watching Steve Clifford and same for Darvin Ham. just kind of intrigued at some of the other potential options to kind of really gauge if they got the decision right. And, um, I, I feel good about it right now. feel good about it when it happened. And it is different right to to see all of those guys that were part of that process be picked up in different places and like there's a good feeling dare i say around the kings right now that's an interesting idea that there's a good feeling around (laughs) the kings um okay that's going to bring us to our next topic um the current roster uh free agency is is crawled to like a standstill um, there are players like little players here and there that are getting signed or, or brought in. There's still a pretty impressive group of, of players that are available, but not for what the Kings have to offer. The Kings don't really have any money to offer, um, outside of their $4.1 million biannual exception. Um, we are hearing more and more and more about Sasha, uh, potentially coming over. Um, I've had plenty of conversations with, uh, our friend, Christos Saltis, uh, in Greece and, um, from Christos, uh, like what we, the latest that I've heard is that they expect Sasha to come over after the weekend and be in Las Vegas, uh, early next week to have conversations with the Kings and everything about, uh, what I'm hearing from that side is that it's going to be more about role than it is going to be like a financial commitment and stuff like that. Um, and like, look, uh, like we brought this up before, but, um, from what I know, uh, he's on a three year, 2.7, uh, million Euro deal. 
um, which equates to a little less than three million bucks, right? Um, so he's only making um, nine hundred euro a year, and he has a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar buyout, uh, but well, not dollar euro buyout, which is close to eight hundred thousand, seven hundred ninety three thousand or something. Um, anyway, if the Kings want him. Um, and they just give him a league minimum contract, which is like 1.0178 million this year or something. Uh, it goes up to like 1.74 million in year two and 2.2 million in year three. That's a lot more money than he's making in Europe. So if they want him and it's a financial situation, then it makes more sense for him to come over and just take a minimum deal in the United States versus the money that he's going to make in Europe. Um, I expect that if he does sign, um, the Kings left the league minimum dollar amount uh, exactly under the uh, when they when they signed Malik Monk to the mid level exception. The mid level can be broken up into multiple players, and the difference with the mid level versus any of the other exceptions is it can be extended for four years. So a standard league minimum deal. That we saw with, um, didn't we see this with uh, with Brunson, right? Brunson, the reason why Brunson wasn't a restricted free agent was because his first contract was less than, it was less than three years. So anyway, the point is that um, if you can, if you can lock a player in for longer term, then you want to because you hold their rights longer, right? And so from what I understand with what the when the Kings signed Malik Monk, they left the league minimum available, which means they can extend a four year offer to Sasha. And what you would probably do in that situation is it would look more like a rookie scale contract where the first two years were guaranteed and the third and fourth years were either team or player option. Um, I'm gonna guess team option. Um, and that would be right around, I think it works out to be like a four year, like almost $7 million contract, which is a lot more than he's going to make in Europe. Um, but the biggest issue with him is he wants to roll. He's 26 going on 27. He's about to walk into his prime and he doesn't want to come over to the U S and get stuck 10 deep on the bench and never play and then waste his prime where he just won uh, this morning. We found out he won the Greek League MVP. Um, he's a big deal in Europe. He comes to the United States. He's not going to be nearly as big a deal. And uh, that's something that he's got to figure out if it makes sense for him or not. Does all that make sense, Brendan? Absolutely. Um, yeah, all Euro League first team the same year that he wins Greek League MVP. Like, he, he really is a star over in Europe. Um, and it's kind of tough with the current roster construction to see what the role is like the four is the most crowded position on this Sacramento roster you know like I think that Harrison Barnes and, and Keegan Murray like are most I would say they're most comfortable at the four in my mind um, but I think you can get minutes from them at the three and then you have Trey Lyles that they picked up his team option uh, the Chemezi Metu one was the more unexpected one for me that they fully guaranteed his deal. To me, I mean, I, I think that there would need to be another move, which I'm still thinking that there could be a trade. I, I would 
if I had to guess, I think it's more likely that there is a trade by the time next season, the start of next season, that maybe one of those guys ends up getting moved on from. And then that's where there's a little bit of room for Bezenkov. Um, because right now, unless that he's coming in and instantly ahead of the rotation when it comes to Trey Lyles or Chemezi Metu, it's like kind of hard to see it at the current moment, no? Yeah, see, okay, so that's going to be the problem because the roster construction of this team is still odd. It still doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, again, the Kings have, at the small forward position, they have Harrison Barnes, and that's it. Like, Kevin Herter can go play some small forward, and Terrence Davis can play some small forward, but your natural, you know, threes, it's Harrison Barnes, and that's it. I mean, you, you traded Mo Harkless. You don't even have Mo Harkless as your backup there. And so for me, um, there is like a weirdness to this roster construction. And Harrison Barnes is like, if you're going to say who's the most likely to get traded between now and October uh, when the season starts, it's Harrison Barnes. Like that's the guy that you would assume. So you don't just have to bring in like Harrison Barnes's replacement. You still need Harrison Barnes's backup. And I look, uh, I've watched enough, uh, enough film of um, of Sasha to think, okay, there's a possibility he could play a little bit of three, like a three-four combo, but he's more three, uh, he's more four than he is three. The same thing that Jordy Fernandez said about Keegan Murray, that he's more four than he is three. Um, and so you need to figure out that situation. Like, I hate saying this and being this brutal, but I'm not really concerned about Shemezi Metu, and I'm not really concerned about Trey Lyles. I'm even more concerned that you're going to keep Rashawn Holmes on your roster, and he's a guy who's used to playing 30 minutes a night, and he's backing up a 35-minute-a-night center, and there's 13 minutes there at the center position for for a guy like Rashawn Holmes, who, let's be honest, Rashawn Holmes is a good basketball player. He's not a bad basketball player. He's a, a a center that can defend the perimeter. He's a guy who's incredible in the in the pick and roll. Um, for a couple of years, he was your best defensive player without any question. And you're going to need to get him on the court as well. So I think that like if Mike Brown wants to keep uh, a guy like uh, Rashawn Holmes around, and you got him under contract for two more years, he has a, a player option for year four of his deal. Uh, which at this point he's probably going to play play out his player contract as long as he's in Sacramento. If he's a backup, you're, he, you're looking at three years of Rashawn Holmes. Um, but my point is that Brennan, I think he's going to have to steal some minutes at the four. And I think right now Keegan Murray is probably going to play, if I were predicting right now, 28 minutes a night at the four. And that leaves you 20 minutes. So who else is going to play that four? And, and I guess that means that, you know, a guy like Sasha can play some minutes there. But I also think that there's going to be times where Rashawn Holmes and DeMontis Sabonis are on the court together. You have to put them on the court together because you're going to need to get Holmes minutes if he's still on the roster. Yeah, especially with that sort of financial commitment to him. Maybe that shouldn't be all too strongly considered in for, from the coaching staff, but like that's an asset that you're that you have sitting there, so like you, I think you need to be giving him a, a decent amount of run. I'm curious to see how that goes. Um 
yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see if they if they do run a lot of homes at the four because it feels like they're in a situation where, like you're saying, maybe they're going to have to. But I don't get the impression that that's exactly what they want to do. It's more of like forcing their hand because the pace is all that they talk about. And while Rashawn is good in the open court, like Sabonis as your five and then having an even quicker four that is able to space the floor and sprint to the corners or be a decent playmaker in transition, like I think fits that a little bit better. Um, It's definitely interesting to me. I, I think another way that I've started to play with in my mind a little bit more of the way that they can round this roster out is like, be a third team in one of these big deals. Like we know that Kevin Durant's going to get moved. It seems like, or at least he's requested to be moved. There's I'm not positive he's going to get moved. Yeah. The talk recently of like, Oh, we might keep him. No, I I just think that if you can dump Kyrie, then he says, okay, I'll stay. I'll listen. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a haywire. Go, go ahead and and say what you're going to say. And then like Deandre Ayton, like, could you be a third team where, you know, all of a sudden would Phoenix need a center in Rashawn Holmes? Could you get Cameron Johnson, a guy that maybe they're going to struggle to pay, who I think would be a really, really good fit on this roster? Like, um, could you get a Seth Curry, Joe Harris? Joe Harris has a while to rehab. I don't know that I love his contract, but I think like there's scenarios where being a third team in some big deal and and trying to steal a piece could make a lot of sense. And, and one move of like moving Rashawn for a three in my mind, really helps even out this roster. Yeah, you got to figure out a way to balance out the roster still. And I think that that's an interesting thing. Um, You know, we talked about this so much last year, so much last year. I'm just going to, like, hit you with it and and see if you just, like, want to punch me right back through the screen. What if the Nets fully blow it up and they would consider Rashawn Holmes and Harrison Barnes for... Simmons. Oh, okay. I thought you were going Kyrie Irving. No, a Ben Simmons trade. I I always really liked Ben Simmons, to be honest, James. (laughs) I hate saying it. I don't want to. I don't want to speak it into existence. But I've always said the best thing about Sacramento that Ben Simmons in Sacramento was the perfect idea. Because Ben Simmons' issues, a lot of them are off-the-court issues. They are what's going on in his brain. And if you could get Ben Simmons in obscurity, which is Sacramento, (laughs) basically an NBA outpost where no one is paying any attention to what he's doing, I think you could rebuild him and make him into the player he's supposed to be. Um, I still think that there's some oddness when it comes to a lineup with the Sabonis would be atrocious. and sa- well, but would it, but would it be? So I-, I will tell you that if I'm the Kings and I started the summer and all I had was Dante DiVincenzo at the two, uh, like sort of as my starter, but then I, I go out and I add Monk and I add, uh, Herter and I add, King and Murray at the four, all of a sudden I've got three guys who are going to be in the top six of the rotation who can really shoot the ball. And we know Sabonis is working on the three ball. We know Fox is working on the three ball. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that Ben Simmons has never shot a three-pointer in his life outside of like the one ball that he's hit. Like, like I, I, I joke, but 
I, I wonder, like, because he is the defensive catalyst that you put at the three, six foot ten, can handle the ball, gives you another playmaker, gives you another everything. He's a great rebounder. He's a great outlet passer. He would be a guy who could fire up the offense. And when Sabonis stepped off the court, you still have that main cog passing guy. And at least for the next couple of years, while while Keegan Murray grows into who he's going to be, I don't think I hate that. If, if he's right physically, and we know he had back issues, um, I'm going to guess a lot of his back issues were stress-related. Um, and so, I, I don't know. Well, I don't. I, I, think, I don't hate it either because he's an All NBA talent. Like I, I do think that Ben Simmons is ridiculously good at basketball, and that's kind of gotten lost in this whole process. Like he had a very good case to win Defensive Player of the Year the final year that he played, and he ended up coming in second there. He's maybe the best at getting guys open looks on the perimeter. Like really good at driving to the paint, finishing at the rim is is phenomenal the transition game would be amazing like he's a really really good passer I think he's right up there with some of the best in the league like you know the same way I don't love Tobias Harris and John Collins it's a talent upgrade that I feel like you have to think about and and Simmons is far and away the most talented of that group I think the interesting thing with Simmons too is he can play the one the two the three the four and the five it helps like you you can just put him in wherever you want to put him in because of his versatility. I mean, he's so incredibly versatile. People say, oh, he can guard one through five. Ben Simmons is one of the few players that can actually defend one through five. I mean, that's the crazy thing. And would he like, to, and hey, you wouldn't need to go out and look for a backup point guard anymore. You wouldn't need your third point guard anymore because he can't play minutes at the point. Like you can go with a big lineup. You can go with a small lineup. You can you can put him at the five and run a lineup like I don't know. I, I'm just saying I, I would at least I would at least consider it because if the Nets are truly going to blow it up, you can get them out of $120 million or 100 and, I don't know. His contract's not good. It's I think it's 37.439 and then 40-something. Um, it's a lot of money. But if you were to move Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes in a unprotected 2027 first-round pick – absolutely like yeah it's cheaper it's than what you're gonna upgrade. get him yeah yeah oh boy yeah, we now came into i've this spoiled episode. this episode we came into this episode and ben simmons was really what we were working to the entire time it was not what we <laughs> wasn't even he's not even on the list he's not on the list it's not even there yes uh my bad my bad i, I took us in a dark path no, it's a interesting. dark path it's interesting. i think it's I'm with you it, it might be more interesting now than at any other time because he's the piece that would like fit and put you over the top. It's just Allison. the shooting. It's just the shooting. But yeah, and your point to being in Sacramento was something that I always really agree really agreed with. Like the pressure, specifically of Philadelphia, in the polar opposites between a Philadelphia sports environment and that fan base and Sacramento fan base, where he would be idolized and just viewed as like a god in Sacramento because he's ridiculously good at basketball and they haven't had all-stars all very often is totally something that in my mind for somebody that is a lot of it has to do with the mental aspect of the game like I I really do think there is something to that hmm 
Uh, Brennan and I have ruined What are we everything. doing, James? We've what ruined we everything. Doing, I, I mean, I, he's trading out uh, Philadelphia for New York, uh, for Brooklyn. I don't think that's going to help him at all either. Um, and then if they start trading off all of the stars around him, then he's going to be the one that has to carry the load. And I, I don't know that he can do that. Like, I, like I, I would at least make the phone call, man. I would at least say, hey, you know, what are we doing here? Because I, I think this is something that would be intriguing to us and – might work out for you. You guys can go trade Harrison Barnes for the deadline and go get another first-round pick for him or something. Um, you know, I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. That's what I like about Harrison Barnes as a trade ship, that that's how I would pitch him. It's like, look, you're getting a great dude, but if things don't go well for you, you can go out and pick up another asset with him at the deadline. He is going to be a marketable player that, that you can easily go out and get another, you know, a first-round pick from a playoff team for. Yeah. Like someone will take him. One other thing I got for you. Is there oh. anybody on Utah's roster that's intriguing to you? Feels like there's a little bit of a maybe fire sale is the wrong word, but it's almost what it feels like. And Royce O'Neal was a guy that I would have loved and my understanding, the only way that I can logically explain that deal of uh Brooklyn sending a first round to get him was that that was prior to Durant's request and it was already getting processed because that deal got finalized right after um, Durant's request but like a Bojan Bogdanovich spaces the floor one year left yeah that's the problem I mean you're just trading out one guy for another guy you know like if you're to trade Barnes there you're just swapping out one for another and let's be honest Barnes means a whole lot more to Sacramento than just uh, the numbers and, you know, we talked about it last pod. His his defensive numbers were way down last year. Like, I, I don't even want to talk about how far down they were. It was shocking. Like, um, but you're just trading out one for another. One guy, one aging small forward for another aging small forward. And, and I don't think you help yourself. I, I've always liked Jordan Clarkson and, like, like the loose cannon that he is. Um, but... You have Malik Monk. You've got Terrence mm-hmm. Davis. I'm not sure that he works. That would be kind of the group. I mean, clearly Donovan Mitchell, if, if he became available, but that's another player that probably doesn't work. Um, and the Kings don't have the the package to go get him. They don't have the the three first-round picks because of the, the Herder deal. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting. But, again, I like that's why I bring up Simmons because – if if you got enough shooters, if you got three shooters that you can put around him, I think you can actually you know figure something out. You still and again the second he steps off the uh, that uh, Sabonis steps off the floor, he becomes the primary facilitator. Like I, I think that there's a lot of things you could do there. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. I, uh, it, it's very possible. You are, but not because of your Simmons takes. Those are all right. There we go. Brendan says uh, it's all right. Um, okay, uh, let's get to the business of basketball. Um, Brendan, I'm excited because you're going to go experience Summer League for the first time. So I, I did it, man, three or four times at least, like when I first started in, in the business. And it's a lot of fun. It's super hot. Um you end up spending way too much money. Um, but what are you looking forward to? Uh, like, not just, like, is there someone you want to meet? 
Is there something that you're like, oh, man, I really, you know, I need to, this is what I want to get out of Summer League? I think it is networking and, like, talking to other basketball minds. Um, I got a little bit of a taste of that at the Cal Classic, like, just sitting and talking amongst a couple scouts when there weren't quite as many Sacramento guys um, around for, for day two and day three. But, like, that's just my comfort zone, James, is, is talking basketball. And it, it's great to talk about basketball with people that have very different perspectives in that same field. Um, one of the guys I talk to is absolutely focused on, on can- Canadian players, for example, and scouting Canadian guys and getting like a little bit of bits and pieces on Jay Triano because Jay Triano's Canadian. Like there's so many random um, aspects from picking people's brains that are also in this field that is so interesting to me. So I'm excited to be in, in my element, I guess. Yeah, I think it's – I'm excited too because you're going down and, and the games you're going to cover are all early. And so you're not going to be there all week, which all week, like, gets into, like, crazy – like, it gets out of control and debauchery and, like – and, again, by the time you're done, you're like, oh, my gosh, you know. You can spend as much money a, in a weekend in Vegas as a week traveling in Europe. Yeah. yeah. I don't have – a week in Europe money with me for Vegas, James. That's right. So <laughs> so you got to be smart with your cash. And like, I'm not saying go hit the like 99 cent buffet. Um, but <laughs> but like that's the whole environment is set up where, you know, you'll go out to dinner with, with some friends and you'll look over and like some of your sports writing heroes are sitting there. You know, like it's, it's pretty wild. And it's... Uh, Especially, I think the the Kings play in the small gym a couple of times, right? Mm-hmm. And that is like crazy compact, and like you're you're going to meet a lot of new people and a lot of people that you've known that you followed forever, and that's that's the fun part of it. It's more of a networking event than it is a basketball event. It's more of a getting to meet people that that you know, again, you, hanging out with Zach Lowe or hanging out. You, you'll see Woj. You'll see so many people and you're like hey this is cool um and the one good thing if sam amick is there which i assume he will be uh sam's always a good guy that if you see sam and you go say hi um he'll introduce you to everyone that he's with he he's good that way he's good people um so yeah i think you're gonna have a good time i'm excited to see like how much you take in from it and then you're like okay i gotta get the hell out of here before things go wild before things go like horribly wrong yeah um I'm feeling like it's going to go pretty quick because I fly out early Friday and then um, come back late Sunday. I wish I was staying longer, but maybe I won't feel that way when I'm in it. I think you're going to feel like, okay, I could I could do this for – I wish I was here till the Wednesday game because they don't have a – do they have a game on Tuesday or Wednesday? I honestly don't know. I know I have Saturday and Sunday games ahead of me. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I, I like it because it's like a two o'clock game, so you're going to be able to go out and have a little bit of a nightlife. You're not going to, and it's not like a ten o'clock game where you can't have a good time on Friday night and then go in on Saturday like all torn up. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. We'll see how it goes. I don't know. Yeah, I'm <laughs> interested to see how much I actually do Vegas because I, I feel like I'm going to want to watch all these random obscure teams and, and be catching, you know, Michael Mulder for who knows why. 
Yeah, I've I've done that like the first once or twice I went. Like it was like okay, I'm gonna watch a bunch of games, and then you're like, okay, this is really the worst basketball ever. Like it's <laughs> it's not good basketball at all. I got it, one of those at the Cal Classic. I was like, oh man, oh man, this is horrible. Yeah, uh, so that that's where you'll figure it out. You'll have a good time with it though. So this is two years in a row. I missed a little bit of the Cal Classic. See, last year at the Cal Classic, uh, there's a fire by the house, and I had to race home uh, right before the game. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see you have uh, this experience. It's good stuff. Um, okay, I, th- I think that's gonna wrap it up. Uh, Brennan, do you have any final thoughts? I got to have a conversation with Keon Ellis that I'm writing up and going to have up on the King's Herald a little bit later today or maybe early tomorrow morning. So stay on the lookout for that. All right. Yeah, everyone look out for that. Uh, Brennan, did you got a little one-on-one, right? My first one. Yeah. Your first one-on-one. You know yeah. my first one-on-one was with? Who? Demarcus um, Cousins. That is a, yeah, it's a tough one. It was a tough one. We had a good time, though. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was good. Yeah, uh, long, long, long time ago. And why I got a one-on-one with Demarcus Cousins, I, still to this day, I have no <laughs> idea how that actually happened. Um, but I had asked a friend who talked me into doing this. Hey, uh, I'm gonna get a one-on-one. Who do you want me to get as a one-on-one? They're like, Oh, you got to get Cousins. And I'm like, Oh man, that's like that's like skipping like eight steps. I'm like, yeah, just give it a shot. I'm like, All right, we had a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many, 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 many years ago. I 2010. Who? That seems like a long time ago. Almost got Dante last season. We were talking about that when it was almost happening. Um, that one fell through. That was one that I thought would have been an interesting personality for my first one. I think Keon was a little bit easier than Dante would have been. Easier, yeah. Um, you just hope that they you you have enough that you can drag out of somebody. That's usually the way it works. So yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, final thoughts from me. Um, it should be a fun weekend of basketball. Um, we'll keep covering the team like we have been. Um, this is uh, we're we're gonna enter the dog days of summer uh, in like twelve days, uh, and things will slow down dramatically, but we'll still carry you through and have all kinds of content going on. Um, I don't think the Kings are done. I think there is another move or two that will happen in the coming weeks. Um, I do think that they will try to get involved in a much bigger trade. And uh, I, I think that, that they can take another big step forward. So hopefully all of that comes to fruition. Um, okay. Uh, for Brendan Nunes from the, the Kings Pulse podcast and the Kings Herald, I'm James Hammer, Kings Insider uh, for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Thanks for joining us here on this episode of the Kings Beat. Um, Sean will be back next week. Uh, Brandon will be back next week. Hopefully, Brandon is like, like okay after a week in Vegas. Um, yeah, hopefully nothing crazy. Hopefully, he doesn't get locked on the, the roof of a casino somewhere or something. You know, these things happen. Um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, yeah, yeah. Whatever well, happens I, in Vegas, at least I get unlocked by the next morning and it would be all right. You know, I don't think so. Not in Vegas. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you sitting on a roof in Vegas? That's like 175 degrees. Yeah. It'll be like a little crispy piece of bacon. Um, All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the King's Beat Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll uh, see you on Tuesday.
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.